0: Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number five, and of course, we are going through this series entitled Journey with Jesus, and that's really what we are doing. We are on a journey with the Lord Jesus Christ as we travel through the gospel according to Luke. We are learning about the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, this morning we saw there in Luke uh, the 11 verses before, the first 11 verses of chapter five, we saw the call of Peter and James and John as Jesus uh, taught them to launch out into the deep. Tonight, we're going to continue with Jesus there in verse number 12, and what we're going to see is we're going to see three different uh, lessons, a couple of miracles that Jesus performs and some lessons we can learn uh, from these miracles in verses 12 through 26, and if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to take notes, you can outline these things, and I'll write them down, and you might ask, why would I outline it? Why would I write it down? So that you can repeat it to somebody else, so that you can teach it to somebody else. The Bible says that we should find faithful men that would be able to teach others also. So we want you to be, uh, not only to learn the Bible, but to learn the Bible well enough to teach it, and pass it on, and to reach other people with the gospel. You're There in Luke 5, <clears throat> look down at verse number 12, the Bible says this, and it came to pass when he was in a certain city so we're continuing our journey with the Lord Jesus Christ he's now moving on and Luke the physician who's writing this is telling us of, of yet another story he says behold a man full of leprosy who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him saying lord if thou wilt thou can make me clean we see here that Jesus is confronted by this man with leprosy and we're going to see that Jesus is going to heal him and the first lesson we see in this passage is, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, we see a depiction of salvation. Uh, when we see the Lord Jesus Christ heal this man with leprosy, it's actually a picture, it's a depiction, you could call it a little uh, parable, even though it's a true story, of what salvation is like now i'd like you to keep your place there in luke chapter 5 that's obviously our text for tonight but go with me if you would to the book of leviticus leviticus chapter number 13 if you go to the beginning of the bible you have genesis exodus leviticus leviticus 13 i'd like you i'd like you to find leviticus and put your finger there and then come back to luke and let me just say this the first thing we see is the depiction of a sinner in the bible leprosy is a picture or a representation of sin. And a leprous man is a picture or a representation of a sinner. And while you turn there and find your passage, let me just read to you a little explanation of leprosy. Leprosy, also known as Hansen's disease, is an infection caused by slow-growing bacteria called Mycobacterium leprae. It can affect the nerves, skin, eyes, and lining of the nose. It is an infectious disease that causes disfiguring of the skin and nerve damage in the arms, legs, and skin areas around your body. Repeated injury and infection of numb areas in the fingers or toes can cause the bones to shorten. Serious untreated wounds can lead to amputations. If the facial nerve is affected, a person may lose the blinking reflect, of the eye, which can eventually lead to blindness. Untreated leprosy can cause deformity, crippling, and blindness. Leprosy has been around since the ancient times. Outbreaks have affected people on every continent. And we see that there's this very serious disease called leprosy, and there's people even in the world today that still have it. And we notice in the Bible that throughout the Bible, leprosy is a picture of. Sin. And the healing of leprosy is a picture of salvation. Now, I don't have the time to uh, break this down for you. You're, you've got your place there in Leviticus 13. Uh, but I would say this the, the number one passage probably on leprosy in the Bible is Leviticus 13. And uh, back a couple of years ago, several years ago, I preached chapter by chapter through the book of Leviticus. And in chapter 13, we studied how leprosy is a picture of sin. I'm not going to take the time to do that tonight, but just if you're writing down some notes, uh, if you can write quickly, you can jot these things down. Let me give you five ways in which leprosy pictures sin according to Leviticus 13. First of all, sin, like leprosy, takes root below the surface. That's according to Leviticus 13, verses 1 and 3. Secondly, sin... Like leprosy starts small and spreads. That's Leviticus 13 verses 4 and 8. Number three, sin like leprosy displays your raw flesh. That's Leviticus 13 9 through 17. Number four, sin like leprosy isolates you. That's Leviticus 13 verses 44 and 46. And lastly, sin like leprosy needs to be uh, dealt with in fire. That's Leviticus 13. 52, and 55. And you can study that out on your own at a different time. But the point is this, that leprosy is a picture of sin, and a leprous man is a picture of a sinner. And what we're seeing here is the depiction of salvation. And that begins, of course, with The sinner. But keep your place there in Leviticus 13. We're going to come back to it and go back to Luke chapter 5 if you haven't done that already. I want you to notice verse 12. Not only do we see the depiction of a sinner through this leprous man, but we of course see the depiction of the Savior. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, And it came to pass when he, the he there is referring to Jesus, was in a certain city. Behold, a man full of leprosy, this is the sinner, who seeing Jesus, this is the Savior, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Notice verse 13. And he, referring to Jesus, notice these words, put forth his hand and touched him. Now, when we read this story, and when you read this passage, you might just quickly and kind of briskly read that and not think much of it. But this is a big deal. In fact, the Bible doesn't tell us what the people around him did as a result of this, but we can imagine that when this leprous man showed up, fell on his face before Jesus, and said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean, and Jesus d- does what we see here in verse 13, he put forth his hand and touched him, we can imagine that those around, the crowd watching this, probably uh, went like this, <gasps> You know, they probably say, what are you doing? You say, why would they be surprised? Here's why. Because you do not touch a leprous man. You don't touch someone with leprosy. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. Go back to Leviticus 13. Let me show you something real quickly in verse number 44. See, in in the ancient world, uh, when they did not have the ability to be able to heal leprosy and medicate it and those types of things, this was uh, 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 something that... They were told that because of this disease and because it could be spread, that they had to isolate themselves. In fact, in Leviticus 13, verse 44, the Bible says this, He is a leprous man. This is talking about someone who's been diagnosed with leprosy. He is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him utterly unclean. He is plagued in his head. And the leper, notice verse 45, in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head bare and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip, lip notice, and shall cry unclean, unclean. See, when you were Told, And when you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were to spend the rest of your life separated. And in fact, when people came near you or when you came near people, if you happened to be sitting by the road and people were walking towards you, you were obligated to cry. The word cry means to yell and say, unclean unclean. And what you're proclaiming is the fact that you're unclean, that you've got leprosy and that people should keep their distance, that they should walk around you, that they should, you know, this was before COVID. Leprosy was something to actually be uh, afraid about, you know, and um, they were supposed to keep six feet away and not touch you, not come in contact. But here we see that Jesus does the exact opposite. He not only doesn't stay away from this man, the Bible says he put forth his hand and touched him. And there's a depiction of the Savior. Go with me to the book of Hebrews, if you would, Hebrews chapter number 4. You start at the end of the Old Testament and go backwards. You have Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James, Hebrews. Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James, Hebrews. See, we have this leprous man. What does leprosy represent? Represents sin. We have the sinner. Then we have Jesus, the Savior. And what does he do? He touches him. He touches this man. He comes in contact with this leprous man. And the picture that is being put here is that uh, like this leprous man, you and I also had a sin sickness. Uh, We had a disease called sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus, the Bible says, reached out and touched you. He reached out and touched us. In fact, the Bible uses that terminology. You are there in Hebrews four. Look at verse fourteen. The Bible says this: Seeing then that we have a great high priest, as a reference to Jesus, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Notice verse fifteen: For we have not an high priest. Now, who's the high priest? It's Jesus, the Son of God. Notice what the Bible says: For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. See, Jesus reached out and he touched this man. The Bible says he put forth his hand and touched him. And then the Bible says that we have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, meaning that Jesus has been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus has felt your pain. Jesus has felt your sickness. Jesus felt what you're going through. And look, don't just read through this. Oftentimes, I tell people as they study the Bible, keep your place in Hebrews, go back to Luke. You want to put yourself in the story. You want to put yourself in the place of these characters. Think about the fact that you have this leprous man who has been isolated from the world. He hasn't been allowed to be around his family. He hasn't been around to be, uh, allowed to be around his friends. He doesn't hasn't been allowed to be around people. In fact, anytime people come near him Come around him, he is obligated to yell unclean, unclean, that they might go around him, that they might avoid him. This leprous man, we don't know how long he's had leprosy. Maybe it's been a few years, maybe it's been a few decades. But here's what we do know since he's been diagnosed with leprosy, no one's ever touched him, no one's ever hugged him, no one's ever held his hand, no one's ever put their arm around him, no one's ever given him any sort of human touch. You know that as human beings we require touch. There are studies done that say that if you take a baby and you feed them and clothe them and care for them, provide shelter, give them everything you need, and never touch them, they will die. Human beings need touch. And I don't want you to miss the fact that this was a very intimate moment here. I wonder what this man felt for like the first time in in, in a long time maybe to have somebody, Jesus, put forth his hand and touch him. For we have not an high priest can, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And I'm here to tell you, whatever you're going through tonight... Whatever ravish sin has had in your life, whatever issues you've gone through, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been stabbed in the back. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe people have lied about you. Maybe people have conspired against you. Maybe they've tried to destroy you. Maybe they've hurt you. Maybe they've not loved you. Maybe they've not touched you. Maybe they haven't been there for you. But I'm here to tell you that you do have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, and he wants to reach out and touch you, connect with you, love you, He put forth his hand and touched him. And I'm thankful for one that we have in high priest, for we have not in high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We see the depiction of the Savior. You weren't supposed to touch a leprous man, but Jesus touched him. Jesus was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And I want you to notice, not only do we see a depiction of the sinner, not only do we see a depiction of the Savior, I want you to notice, thirdly, we see a depiction of salvation. Look at verse 12, Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. It says, And it came to pass when he, referring to Jesus, was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, that's the sinner, who seeing Jesus, that's the Savior, fell on his face, and notice these words, besought him. The word besought or to beseech means to ask urgently, to make a request to ask for something. He besought him saying, "Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean." You know that the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. You know, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You know, the Bible says that anybody who in faith opens their mouth and confesses and calls upon Jesus, anyone who comes to Jesus and says, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean, they can be saved. And here we see the sinner calling upon the Savior. see a picture of salvation, whosoever will make up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now I want you to notice his response. Luke chapter 5, look at verse 13. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, remember, he, he asked. And by the way, he asked in the proper way, the proper way that we should ask whenever we pray. Whenever we pray to God, we should not make demand saying, Lord, you've got to do this. We should pray in faith, believing that he can. And we should ask in this way. If thou wilt, thou can make me clean. If you want to. You can do this, God. If you want to, you can answer this prayer. If you want to. This is a picture of salvation. Notice the response from Jesus. He says, I will be thou clean. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 9. If you kept your place in Hebrews, right after Hebrews, you have James First and 2 Peter. I ask you to keep your... Place there in Hebrews. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, If thou wilt, thou can make me clean. This is a picture of salvation. If you want to, you can save me. And the response is this: I will. I want to. Be thou clean. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Bible says this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward. Don't miss this. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm here to tell you something. Calvinism is a lie. That's right. This idea that God, there's some people that God doesn't want to save or some people that God has created to be damned and some people that didn't have the opportunity for salvation. We understand that sometimes you can cross a line with God and you can become a reprobate. We get that. But let me tell you something. From the moment that somebody is born, everyone has the opportunity to be saved. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If the question is, "Wilt thou save me? The answer is, I will. I will, he says, be thou clean. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Go back to Luke chapter 5. Let me give you the last depiction here of salvation. We see the sinner. We see the Savior. We see the salvation. Notice there in Luke 5 and verse 13, the Bible says, He put forth His hand and touched Him, saying, I will, be thou clean. Notice these words, and immediately and immediately the leprosy departed from him. You know how salvation is not a process? You know how salvation is not something we're working on and working through? Go to John chapter 5. If you're there, you're there in Luke chapter 5. Go to John chapter 5. Look at verse 24. Here's salvation. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, John 5, 24, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but, here's salvation, notice, but is passed from death unto life. You know, salvation is being passed from death unto life. The Bible says it's being born again. It happens in a moment. It happens immediately. When you believe and confess with your mouth, the Bible says you're saved, your sins are forgiven, you're given eternal life. It's not a process. It's not, sometimes we knock doors, we invite people to church, we, and, and we uh, ask them, do you know for sure if you died today, are you on your way to heaven? And people say, well, I'm working on it. Amen. Well, that's not salvation. That's right. Salvation is immediately. Right. Salvation is straightway. Salvation is, hey, when you believe, you're passed from death unto life. It's not, you know, well, I'm working on being passed from death to life. No, you're born again and happens in a moment. Amen. Right. Amen. When you were born physically, they wrote down a date and a time. That you were born. It happened in a moment. You went from in the womb to out of the womb in a moment. You passed. And the Bible says salvation the same way. You passed from death unto life immediately. So we see this depiction of salvation. We see the sinner. The man with leprosy. A picture of sin. We see the Savior who touches him. Picturing the fact that we have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our. That we do not have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Then we see salvation. He calls. He asks. The answer is, I will. And immediately he's cleansed. Immediately the leprosy departed from him. Go back to Luke chapter 5. Verse 14. We're early in the ministry of Christ. The Bible says, and he charged them, tell no man but go and show thyself to the priest and offer thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. He tells him to follow there were already guidelines in the Old Testament law that said if you are healed from leprosy, these are the steps you're supposed to take. I I would imagine that since Elisha Elisha, uh, uh, cleansing the leper, no one had been healed from leprosy since then. And even then, these laws weren't uh, followed because as we learned a couple of weeks ago, he was a Syrian. I I don't know, and this is just a guess of mine, but I would imagine that since God gave the law of what you were supposed to do, if you were cleansed by leprosy, you were supposed to go according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them, I would imagine that no one ever took them up on that. Probably nobody ever showed up to a priest and said, I've been cleansed from leprosy, and I'm following what Moses said to do. This is probably a part of Scripture that they weren't aware, you know, too aware of. Maybe they, where was that again? And they have to look it up and, you know, get the dust off of there and say, oh, yeah, you know, if you've been cleansed by leprosy, here's what we're supposed to do. But notice, Jesus tells him, tell no man but go and show thyself to the priest and offer thy cleansing according as Moses commanded. If you've been cleansed from leprosy, there's certain things and certain sacrifices you were supposed to do, he says, for a testimony unto them. Jesus was, in in some ways, kind of giving them His calling card saying there's something different going on now, something new. Look at verse 15, but so much the more went there a fame abroad of him. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Verse 16, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And I just want to highlight this real quickly while we're here, but I want you to notice here we see the humanity of Christ. Yes, he was God in the flesh. We're going to see that here in a minute. But he was God in the flesh. He was 100% God, yes, but he's also 100% man. And as a result, he required rest. In verse 16, it says, he withdrew himself into the wilderness. He got away from the crowds and he prayed. I'm just here to tell you something. If Jesus needed to take time to get away and pray, you better believe you and I need to take time to get away and pray. He says, and he prayed. Look at verse 17. Now we have a different story, a different miracle. And it came to pass on a certain day. Now, with the new story, we have a new lesson. The first lesson was a depiction of salvation. We saw the depiction of the sinner, the depiction of the Savior, the depiction of the salvation. In this lesson, if you're taking notes, we see the second lesson. In this miracle, we, not, we don't see the depiction of salvation like we saw in the previous miracle. In this miracle, we see the determination of soul winners. I, I love this story. In verse 17, it says, And it came to pass on a certain day, as he, Jesus, was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Here we have the, 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 the Pharisees and the doctors of the law. In a different passage, they're called scribes. These were religious leaders. Here's what we know about them. They were not there because they wanted to hear the word of God. They were there with a bad attitude, with a critical attitude. They wanted to catch Jesus in his words. They were there to, to try to entrap Jesus and trap Jesus. Here's the sad thing. Look at verse 17. Look at this little phrase. I love this little phrase at the end of verse 17. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. To heal who? The Pharisees and the doctors of the law. You know what's interesting? Is that these Pharisees would show up. They didn't care about Jesus. They didn't care about Jesus preaching. They were just trying to catch Jesus in his words. The funny thing is that the power of, of Jesus, the power of Jesus' message, the power of the Lord was just as present there to heal them as it was to heal anyone else. The Pharisees could have been helped by Jesus. The scribes could have been uh, ministered to by Jesus. They could have gotten there with the right spirit and the right attitude, and they could have had Jesus, the power of the Lord, was present to heal them. You know that there are people uh, 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 who, who make it their job to listen to every sermon that I preach? I mean, they listen to every sermon that I preach, not because they're trying to learn something, but because they're trying to catch me in something I say wrong. Not because they're trying to learn more of the Word of God and learn how to apply the Word of God, but so that they can pull out some clip, so they can pull out something I said wrong. It's not just me. There's many pastors uh, that that have the same sort of fan club. You can call them that. I mean, they're my biggest fans. They listen to everything I say. They listen to it in, in slow motion and make sure they catch every word. But they're never helped. They could be helped. The power of the Lord is there present to heal them too. Look at verse 18. And behold, here's what's interesting. The the Pharisees and the doctors of the law, they're sitting there not being helped while there's people who are not sitting there that could use the help. And behold, verse 18, man brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. The word palsy is referring to a paralysis, the loss of the ability to move, sometimes the loss of the ability to feel anything, in part or most of the body, typically because of illness, poison, or injury. Here we have a crippled man he can't walk. He can't get himself to Jesus. He can't show up to the meeting. He can't get there early to get a seat. He can't. He the, the Pharisees are there. The doctors of the law are sitting by. He can't be sitting by. If he was going to get there, he needed help. And behold, notice verse 18. Men brought in a bed, a man which was taken the palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. I want you to notice here that in Luke 5, we have a story of a crippled man who had people who cared about him. See, in this, in this miracle that we're going to see, we see the determination of the soul winners. We see these soul winners. He's got some friends that they want to bring him to Jesus. He could not come to Jesus on his own, but they are determined to bring him, and they brought him in a band, and they bring him to Jesus. You say, why would they do that? Here's why. Because they cared about him. Amen. See, there's some things we can learn about soul winning from this, from this miracle, and one is this, that soul winning requires compassion. Soul winning requires somebody to care. I think uh, Brother Oliver really uh, recently preached that in one of the Saturday soul winning challenges, the fact that we must have compassion to be soul winners. Why? Because compassion means you care about people. And here we had these men. They weren't crippled. They didn't require healing. They didn't need help. They could have showed up to the meeting on their own. They could have walked there. But there was a man they cared about that needed their help. And they showed up. Behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken in a palsy. What's interesting to me is that in Luke 5, we have a story about a crippled man who had people who cared about him. We just looked at a verse in John chapter 5. Remember John 5, 24? We're passed from death unto life. Here's what's interesting. In Luke 5, we have a crippled man. He needs help. And people care about him. In John 5, go back to John 5 if you would. We have another story of another crippled man that nobody cared about. John 5 and verse 5. The Bible says this, and a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now A long time in that case, he saith unto him, "Wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be healed?" Here we have a crippled man. He's been a long time in this case—thirty-eight years. He can't walk. Verse seven. The impotent man answered him, and I don't have time to develop the story. I preached this to you in the past, but he's at this pool where miracles are done and angels come down and they trouble the water and the first person to enter into the water is healed but there's lots of crippled people there and whenever he tried whenever the water was troubled and he tried to get in the water someone else would come in before him and Jesus sees this man and he says will thou be made whole by the way that's the question that we as soul winners ask everyone that we go to out in the streets. Wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be cleansed from your sin? Why don't you notice the heartbreaking response? See, the man in John 5 was not like the man in Luke 5. The man in Luke 5 had four friends that were willing to carry him to Jesus, carry him to healing, carry him to where he needed to go. But in John 5 and verse 7, this impotent man says, the Bible says the impotent man answered him. Jesus said, Wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to be cleansed? Do you want to be healed? And he answered, sir, I have no man. He said, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another step down before me. I wonder how many people. Remember these sicknesses, these, these illustrations of healings, they're all pictures of salvation and soul winning. I wonder how many spiritually crippled people there are out in the community of Natomas, Del Paso, Sacramento, South Sacramento who if somebody would just show up and bring them to Jesus, they could be healed. And how many would cry out today, I have no man. I have no man that cares. I have no man that wants to help. I have no man that wants to take the time. I have no man that's willing to give up a couple of hours on a Saturday morning. I have no man that's willing to give up a couple of hours on a Thursday afternoon or a Friday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon. They're just too busy. They're healed. They're fine. They're on their way to heaven, but they won't take the time. I wonder how many people would say, sir, I have no man. In verse 8, the Bible says, Jesus saith unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. In Jude, the Bible says this, and of some have compassion. Making a difference. It takes compassion to make a difference. It takes us to actually care. Excuse me, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but it actually takes enough for you to care to actually roll out of bed on a Saturday morning. And realize that somebody took the time to give you the gospel. When you were impotent, when you were crippled, when you were uh, 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 paralyzed in your sin, someone cared enough to carry you to Jesus. It's going to require some compassion to roll out of bed on Saturday. You say, Well, I worked all week. I'm tired on Saturday. Let me let you know a little secret. We're all tired. You understand, Pastor? I'm busy. Let me let you know a little secret. We're all busy. You understand the amount of stress. If you knew the kind of things, I mean, there are things that my wife and I, we could not just out of out of out of concern and and and, and love for people talk to you about. If you knew the kind of things that that we dealt with on a regular basis, it would make you want to go screaming in the in in a different direction away from this church. You say, How do you know that? Because that's how I feel sometimes. Don't talk to me about stress. I know you have stress. We all have stress. You're not special. I know you're tired. I know you've got things to deal with. I know you've got to mow your lawn. I get that. There's people dying going to hell every week. And they're saying, sir, I have no man. Nobody cares. But this man in Luke chapter 5 was not like the man in John chapter 5. Go back to Luke chapter 5. Notice not only does soul winning require compassion, but I want you to notice that soul winning requires ingenuity. Luke 5 and verse 18, the Bible says this, And behold, men brought him in a bed, which was taken with a palsy. And I love these words. They sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. They sought means. They looked for ways to bring in their friend and to lay their friend before Jesus. You know that if we're going to reach people with the gospel, we're going to have to seek means to do so. I've said this to you before, a growing church is always in transition. We need to avoid this, we, this attitude that says, well, we've never done it that way before. Well, as we grow and learn, we might have to, as time progresses, we may need to do things differently. I'm not talking about uh, doctrine, and I'm not talking about biblical patterns, but I'm just here to tell you that, you know, We we, soul winning and reaching people requires a little bit of ingenuity. I mean, we've got some practices of ingenuity that we've had to come up with at Verity Baptist Church. Obviously, we have our weekly soul winning door to door soul winning uh, times. The Bible teaches that to go out in groups of two and two and house to house, knocking doors, preaching the gospel. We're never going to stop doing that. But as, as we've grown and as, we've, as time has gone on, we've had to change things. You know, as we look at that map of Sacramento and we realize that we're in the northern part of, Cal, uh, of Sacramento and, and that part of Sacramento that surrounds us on, on staff, we call it the big five, the big five zip codes that uh, circulate our church, 95833, 3435, three, five, three, those, those doors have been knocked every year by our church. Praise God for it. But as we've realized that, you know, the South Sac zip codes are a little harder to get because they're further away. We've had to have some ingenuity. We've had to develop some South Sac soul winning blitz. We've had to, you know, uh, tempt you with a free lunch. Get you down there. Knock those doors. Have some extra emphasis. Say, why do you put your sermons on YouTube? Because of some ingenuity to reach more people with the word of God? Why do you put your sermons on Bitchute? Because they keep kicking us off of YouTube. (laughs) Why why you start this bad but not bound email list, which has uh, uh, over 2,000 subscribers since we started it? You say, why? Because it requires some ingenuity when the world is waxing worse and worse and what we preach now is being called hate and not being censored and not being allowed and being canceled. And we live in this canceled culture. We've had to have some ingenuity and some thoughts and ideas and say, well, how are we going to continue to reach people? We're not going to sit here and complain and say, well, it's just too hard. Oh, no, we're going to get the man on the bed and we're going to get him to Jesus and we're going to seek for ways to do so. A couple of years ago, we had this idea that said, we had some guys that we were sending stuff to in prison and sending them sermons, and we thought, well, if we can do it for these three, maybe we can do it for more than three. Today, we've got over 200 inmates that get sermons, transcribed sermons from Verity Baptist Church on a regular basis. Every week, I don't know what the number is, you can ask ask Brother Shaw, but every week we get somewhere between three and six letters, personal letters written uh, to me and some of them to some of the guys that have volunteered as pen pals in that ministry and people writing and telling us about the sermons and how they're a help and how they're learning and how they're King James only now and they got rid of their NIV and how they're uh, eternal security now and this and that. I'm just telling you that if we're going to reach people it requires some ingenuity. We need to, like these men, they sought means to bring him in, to lay him before him and we're just going to have to figure out ways to do it and uh, and, and that prison ministry is just an untapped uh, uh, ministry and even now we're working on some things to try to get some uh, people physically in there to preach the gospel in person. And Lord willing, we'll have more to say about that in the near future. And uh, that's why we have big days. We have You say, why do you have big days? To give you an excuse to invite your friends. Amen. Amen. That's why we support missionaries. That's why we have uh, the church plants in, in the Philippines. That's why we have the mission strips. And that's why we do uh, the postal mailings. Why? Because reaching people requires ingenuity. We want to, have, uh, to, to seek means to bring people in. Do everything we can to reach people with the gospel. Amen. Just last night, I was talking to my wife. I said, I, ha- I just had an idea. I want to run it by you. And yeah, I can, you know, I know the staff. They're probably like, oh, brother, here we go. <laughs> I did have an idea. I literally just had an idea last night. So, uh, you know, I'll tell you about it. But it probably, these aren't the type of things that just happen overnight. And they might not happen at all. But I got this vision of our church sending like a yearly or maybe a bi-yearly or maybe, maybe, maybe something like that, maybe a quarterly newsletter to all of Natoma's. Just like this little newsletter with some practical things about marriage and, and finances and whatever, just some practical uh, articles and helpful things there, but, but to have the Bible's way to heaven and invite them to the next big day here at Ready Baptist Church, here, say, are you going to do that? I don't know. I just literally had that idea, and I'll talk to the staff guys about it, and they're probably going to give me all the reasons why we can't do it. <laughs> you want to talk about stress? Those guys are stressed. I've got all these visions. They're the ones that got to make them happen. Say, why do you start a Red Hot Preaching Conference where people come from all over the country and all over the world to Sacramento uh, to hear some Red Hot Preaching so that we could promote fundamentalism? So that hard preaching doesn't die? Here's what I'm telling you. We just have to... uh, uh, Reaching people requires ingenuity. It requires people that say we're going to do whatever we need to do to get the Word of God out there. And if they'll let us do it on YouTube, we'll do it on YouTube. And if they kick us off of YouTube, we'll do it somewhere else. And we'll knock doors and we'll send letters and we'll do everything we can to get the word out. Amen. So you see that soul winning requires compassion and soul winning requires ingenuity. But I want you to notice, thirdly, there in Luke 5, look at verse 19. Soul winning requires sacrifice. Notice verse 19. In verse 18 it says, And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. Verse 19. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude. See, Jesus is teaching in a house, and the house is packed out. There's people everywhere. They're bringing this man on a bed, on a cot to Jesus, and they can't come in. There's too many people. The multitude is pressing upon him. Did they give up? No. Notice, one of them said, I have an idea. They went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch in the midst before Jesus. I love this story. They go up on the top and they begin to destroy the roof, cut a hole in the roof, and they, 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 lay, they, they, they uh, put him down, they bring him down, they let him down through the ceiling right to where Jesus. I mean, could you imagine that? Imagine if just all of a sudden right now as I'm preaching, you know, the, the, the roof starts opening up and a man just comes down. <laughs> now, look, we're a family-integrated church, and I think I do a pretty good job at preaching. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like I do a pretty good job at preaching while there's all sorts of distractions going on. I mean, some of you get up to use the restroom so many times, I'm thinking to myself, you might want to, you know, get a doctor's appointment or something, check that out. And I mean, I mean, I have preached, I've literally preached, well, I remember one time at the prophecy conference, I got up to to preach and there was literally like a, a mariachi band just on the other side of the wall, just blasting away. And I got to preach, I preached my sermon. People have to were like, How in the world were you able to preach that sermon with that and you know, by the God's grace, He's allowed me to be able to just kinda, you know, not be distracted by stuff and not be distracted by people. But let me tell you something. If somebody opens up the roof and brings a man in palsy in a bed right in front of you, you're kinda gonna have to stop the service. <laughs> and and just deal with it. But I'm here to tell you that soul winning requires sacrifice because that house had to get broken up. I mean, imagine if that was your house. You're like, wait wait a minute. Who's going to pay for the roof? I mean, somebody had to, they broke it up. They destroyed it. You say, why? To bring someone to Jesus. Requires sacrifice. Some, some of you are going to have to break some things up in your schedule. You say, why? Because soul winning requires sacrifice. I want you to notice, fourthly, soul winning requires faith. Look at verse 20, Luke 5 and verse 20. And when he, that's Jesus. I, I love this. When he saw their faith. You see the word there, there there? It's not referring to the man with Posse's faith, it's referring to the soul winner's faith. The four that brought him in. When he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. I love this story because we see the determination of soul winners. They say, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, we're going to take get this man to Jesus. And look, that's what we need at Verity Baptist Church. We need some soul winners that will say, whatever it takes, we're going to bring people that could not otherwise on their own come to Jesus. We're going to bring them to Jesus. We're going to bring them the gospel. We're going to make sure that every sin sick, every sin crippled man and woman in the city is a Luke 5 crippled that has people all over them trying to help them and that no one in the city is a John 5 crippled that says, Sir, I have no man. We see the determination of soul winners. We see the depiction of salvation. Let me give you the last lesson tonight. We see in this passage. We see the deity of the Savior. Notice there in verse 20. And when he, talking about Jesus, saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking that the four guys that cut up the hole in the roof and brought this man down, those were not the words that they were hoping to hear. Now, I'm sure they're thankful that his sins were forgiven, but I think what they wanted to hear is, take up thy bed and walk. They wanted him to be healed physically. That's what they brought him. I'm sure they also wanted him to be saved, but they brought him to be physically healed. But I want you to notice that Jesus always emphasizes the spiritual over the secular. He emphasizes the spiritual over the physical. I'm here to tell you, Jesus would not have been out there feeding the homeless. He would have been out there preaching the gospel. Amen. He looks at this man and he sees past, look, the guy was brought down on a bed because he can't walk himself there. The obvious thing is that he can't walk. And Jesus looks past his physical need and he says, my sins are forgiven thee. He deals with the spiritual. Was verse 21. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this? Remember, they were there. They weren't there with the right attitude. They said, Who is this? referring to Jesus, which speaketh blasphemies. And then they they said this Who can forgive sins but God alone? Let me say this The scribes and the Pharisees, they were not wrong about God. They're right. That no one can forgive sins but God alone. That's true. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you can find the T-books in the New Testament, they're all clustered together. 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Do me a favor, when you get there, put a ribbon or a bookmark there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. They, 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 said, they, they said, the scribes and Pharisees, they began to reason saying... Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And and I I just want to make this clear that the scribes and Pharisees, they weren't wrong about God. It's true that only God can forgive sins. And let me just make this point. There is no mere man that can forgive sins. There is no priest. There is no pastor. There is no church that can forgive sins. I know some of you were taught that you can go into some little booth somewhere and talk to some guy uh, through a mesh uh, a window and tell him your sins and he'll tell you that your sins are forgiven. But that's a lie. Only God can forgive sins. No man can forgive sins but God alone. First Timothy 2 and verse says for there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus I don't need to go to a priest I don't need to go to Mary I don't need to go to a church I don't need to go to anybody but the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. they weren't wrong about God who can forgive sins but God alone they're right keep your place there in 1st Timothy go back to Luke we're going to come back to 1st Timothy here in a second go back to Luke 5 we see this third lesson on the deity of the Savior. This man comes down, and Jesus says, Man, thy sins be forgiven thee. And they said, Who is this that speaketh blasphemies? By the way, they didn't say it out loud. They said it in their mind, in their heart. Who is this that speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And I'll just say this. The scribes and Pharisees, they're not wrong about God. But let me say this. They are wrong about Jesus. Because Jesus was not speaking blasphemies. They said, it is blasphemous if a man says that he can forgive sins when he is not God. And they're right about that statement. But what they're wrong about is the fact that they don't understand that Jesus is God. Luke 5.22, but Jesus perceived their thoughts. Because remember, they made the statement not out loud. They made the statement in their thoughts, and Jesus perceived their thoughts. He heard their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. By the way, the fact that Jesus can hear their thoughts, that's enough to show that he is God. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, "Imagine, imagine this. Imagine if you're sitting there looking at Jesus. You're in this big multitude of crowds. He just told, this guy just came down from the ceiling. He told the man, man, thy sins be forgiven thee. And in your head, you're thinking, who is this? Not out loud. In your mind. In a multitude. Who is this that forgives sin? This is blasphemy. You're having this conversation in your head, and then Jesus looks at you and starts conversating with the conversation you had in your head. They're having these things in their mind. And Jesus looks at them and says, what reason ye in your hearts? Verse 23. He says, whether it's easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk. He says, let me ask you a question. What's easier? To save a man's eternal soul or to heal a man and cause him to walk? He says, what reason ye in your hearts? Whether it's easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, rise up and walk. Verse 24, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, I say unto thee. At this point, Jesus is just showing off. I mean, he's like, he, he says, look, you think, you, what do you think it's easier? To save and forgive the sins of a man or to cause him to walk? He said, I've declared this man saved. I've declared his sins forgiven. But so, just so that you may know that the Son of Man hath power upon the earth to forgive sins. The Bible says, he said unto the sake of the apostle, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy couch and go into thine house. Okay, verse 25, and immediately he rose up before them took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. See, the scribes and the Pharisees, go go back to 1 Timothy if you would. We're almost done. The scribes and Pharisees, they weren't wrong about God, but they were wrong about Jesus because Jesus is God. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, the Bible says this, and without controversy, What does that mean? It means without dispute, without debate, without contention, without conflict, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's Jesus justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preaching to the Gentiles, believed on the world, receive them to glory. Let me tell you something. The Bible teaches very clearly that Jesus is God. This passage proves that Jesus is God. Why did Jesus forgive sins when only God can forgive sins? Because Jesus is God. Amen. Go to 1 John 5 if you would. 1 John, you're there in 1 Timothy, 1, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1, 2 Peter, 1 John. Towards the end there. 1 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1, 2 Peter, 1 John. I could preach all night on this. I'm not going to. But let me just make this point. Throughout the Bible, you had people who would fall down and worship before Christians. Cornelius fell down and worshiped before Peter. In the book of Revelation, John himself falls down and worships a man. Confused and thinking that they're deity. And they always... Uh, Peter and, 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 and the angel said to John, in both instances they said, get up, don't, don't worship me. I'm a man like you are. I'm one of the prophets like you are. Yet the Bible tells us that after the, after the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ, Thomas fell down and worshiped before Jesus and he said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't say, get up, I'm a man like you are. He accepted that worship. Why? Because Jesus is God. Amen. Amen. First John 5.20, the Bible says, and we know that, I want you to notice this, and we know that the Son of God, that's the subject, the Son of God. Who is that? It's Jesus. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us, who's given us? The Son of God has given us an understanding that we may know him, that we may know who? Well, it's referring to the Son of God. I'm going to prove that to you in a second. But you could make, ask the question, maybe he's made us know him. It could be referring to God the Father, or it could be referring to God the Son. Okay, notice it. And we know that the Son of God, that's Jesus, is come, Jesus has come, And hath, Jesus hath, given us an understanding that we may know him. There's a question about who the him is. It could be a reference to the Father, or it could be a reference to himself, the Son of God. That we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true. Notice, here's how we know that the him is referring to the Son of God. Even in his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The subject is Jesus. The Son of God is come. The Son of God has given us understanding that we may know Him, the Son of God. That is true. Remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that we are in Him. That is true. The Son of God. Who are we talking about? Even in His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm, make, I'm, I'm belaboring that because I want to make this point. It's about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Look at the next statement. This is the true God and eternal life. Who is the true God? So, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He's God. He's God in the flesh. That's why he forgives sin. That's why he accepts worship. Go back to Luke chapter 5. We see in this passage of Scripture three lessons. The first is a depiction of salvation. Remember we saw the sinner? The leprous man. We saw the Savior who reached out and touched him. Aren't you thankful that God came down to this earth and touched us? He's touched the feelings of our infirmities. By his stripes we are healed. We saw the depiction of salvation. He asked for salvation and he immediately was saved. Then we saw in another miracle the determination of the soul winners. We saw four men that were determined to bring their buddy to Christ and it, it required compassion and it required ingenuity and it required sacrifice and it required faith when Jesus saw their faith. And we, then we saw the deity of the Savior. Jesus forgave this man of his sins and the Pharisees and the scribes, they said, who is this who speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And, Uh, So this, the scribes and Pharisees, they were not wrong about God, but they were wrong about Jesus because Jesus does have power. He says that ye may know that the Son of Man has power upon the earth to forgive sins. Why is that? Because he is God. We'll end here in verse 26. We'll pick it up in verse 27 next Sunday morning. Verse 26, and they were all amazed and they glorified God. And we're filled with fear, saying, I not you notice this phrase. I love this little phrase. In fact, this is the title of the sermon. This is what we're telling the sermon tonight. We have seen strange things today. I like that. These people, they saw this whole fiasco. They said, we have seen strange things today. In Mark chapter 2, you have to turn there. In Mark 2 and verse 12, we have the same story. And in that passage of Scripture, they said this about the situation. They said, we never saw it on this fashion. They said, we have seen strange things today. Let me tell you something. If you and I get serious about soul winning, we get serious about compassion, sacrificing, going out there, having some ingenuity and doing what we've got to do to bring people to Jesus. We teach them about salvation. They call upon Jesus and he touches them and heals them. We proclaim the fact that Jesus was 100% man and required time to get away and to rest, but he was 100% God and was able to forgive sins. If we bring people in, to a place like this and we get them saved and we get them baptized and we teach them the word of God and we teach them to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior and we teach them what God wants them to do in their marriage and God wants them to do with their children and God wants them to do with their finances and God wants them to do with their health and they begin to grow and and to be disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. If we continue to reach people and disciple people and help people, you know what they will say about us? They will say, we have seen strange things today. Because this is strange to the world. What you and I have here tonight, is strange to the world. But it's glorifying to God. Amen. Let's bow our heads in our word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. And thank you for these stories, the lessons we can learn from them. It's so easy to read these stories and just read past the details. I understand that but you've given them to us for a reason. There's things we can learn, things we can apply. And Lord, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd help us to raise up an army of soul winners that have compassion. I pray that every spiritually crippled and impotent man and woman out there today would not have to, like the man in John 5, say, sir, I have no man but would instead have an army of soul winners willing and ready to do whatever it takes to bring them to Christ, like the crippled man in Luke chapter 5. Help us to keep the main thing the main thing. Thank you for sending your Son, God in the flesh, to die on the cross for our sins, to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. In the matchless name of Christ we pray. Amen.